Hello, I'm Zara, a self-published author of young adult and new adult fiction, a publishing grad student at NYU and an aspiring literary agent. Hi, I'm Kelly, a genre hopping writer, domestic goddess, which is a fancy way of saying that I am a stay-at-home mom and wife, and I occasionally captain the Hot Mess Express. And this is Writish, the podcast by writers for writers, where we discuss craft and hot topics in the writing community. This season, we're also starting to get into some interviews with other writers and industry professionals, so we're very excited for that and hope you'll enjoy those episodes as much as we did recording them. There will be a trigger warning for this episode on a brief plot summary that involves child abuse. It is my great honor and excitement to introduce to you all someone I consider dear friend R.P. Winters, who is also a fellow author tuber, horror and thriller writer, my co-writer for Project Fun and a uni student and lover of theater and a Gemini icon. And in his free time, when he has it, my dude loves to explore writing erotica. That was quite the intro. That's <laughs> I love that. Can I can I get a copy of that somewhere? Yeah, I'll, I'll totally just copy it and send it to you. And that can be your intro whenever you're doing live streams. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. We're so happy to have you. Yes. I'm just very excited because I'm like, okay, I already talked to Zara about it, but we have like so many plans to bring you back on and it's just exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here anytime you want me. If I'm somehow useful, you let me know. <laughs> yes, Entertainment is useful on its own. I know that romance of any kind isn't your main genre, but could you tell us what got you interested in considering writing erotica in addition to your normal horror stuff? Sure thing. So uh, the reason romance isn't my sort of thing is because romance specifically as a genre, I find it incredibly cringy. It's disgusting, really. It's sort of this like middle ground genre for me where it's people that want to write erotica, but are too what's the word, like religiously conservative. Too puritanical? Absolutely. It is too puritanical. Okay, well, I would say that I think you need to read some, like, adult contemporary, (laughs) because there's steps in those, but I understand you thinking that. One of the key things on erotica is it's one of these small niche environments of literature where there's obviously rules, but, you know, anything goes. Like, the main point of erotica, really, and this is a common misconception, so it's probably good to get it early on in the podcast, is a lot of people just think erotica's porn. And it's really not. The point of erotica is it's meant to be tantalising, to look at the beauty and the sexual frustration in sort of everyday life. And it is such an open environment, you know, and any and every kink within legal restraints, people, can exist inside of erotica. And that's part of the fun of it. So you definitely just answered my next question without me even asking it. I was going to ask you, what do you like most about exploring erotica? But you just gave us the most beautiful answer. Oh, thank you. What stereotype do you dislike the most around erotica? Definitely the idea that it's got to be heavily laden with taboo kinks. Fifty Shades of Grey has done the genre no favours. It's done it dirty and not in the good way. (laughs) Not in the good way at all. So Fifty Shades of Grey does count as erotica. Not good erotica, in my opinion, because it's taken to every aspect of life. Because the sexual tension is constant. That's what gives it the the erotica label. Um, It does contain moments of pornography. 
but it's not exclusively an act of pornography. But the issue with it is I think that everyone now thinks that erotica has to be exclusively about dom and subs or chain fantasies and all this sort of high taboo tier things. And it really doesn't. You know, erotica as a name, you know, the etymology comes from the Greek god of Eros, the god of passion, sexual relationships and something else, which I now can't remember. But it's not the god of taboo. Every time you talk Greek, because we do it a lot with Project Bun. Yes. <laughs> so whenever you just started like talking about arrows and I was like, oh, yes, talk Greek to us, RP. <laughs> <laughs> a good erotic novel should act as foreplay. But if it makes you come, it's gone too far. That's where it's gone into porn. <laughs> I love that because the episode prior, I was talking about how not everyone is like a fucking slip and slide down there and you need foreplay to get going. <laughs> you absolutely do. Foreplay is so important. That's the beauty of erotica. One of the issues that modern society has is a lot of people are learning about sex through pornography. And let's be real, doesn't work that way. And so I think it's part of erotica. I think there's actually a really decent market for it in this time period to explore it, to explain it, you know, to look at passion as a concept and go, you know, what is it that drives people? What is it about a lip bite? Why do people bite their lip and why do other people enjoy it? You know, explore that, look into it, see what happens, you know. How can you do it differently? Whereas Fifty Shades of Grey was like, what if at the end of every sentence she bites her lip? Wouldn't that be hilarious? See, now I'm just over here worried because we're writing a book together. <clears throat> we're writing a series together. Thank you. <laughs> okay, you're right. We're writing a series together. Seven books. Yes. So we're writing a series together. And I know how it's going to end. I was sworn to secrecy about... Operation Chocolate Thunder. I've not even told Zara. And she's our potential future agent. Amazing. <laughs> and... <laughs> All I'm thinking about is as we were planning it, we were talking about how it would age up with the audience. Yes. And now I'm just like, oh no, is he going to add in some of this tension? Because I don't know how to write this. And it's just going to be all in Lone's perspective because Frasier is just going to be over here totally oblivious. And, you know, that works perfectly fine, I think. It is highly likely that between Lone and Frasier, Lone probably would develop the more animalistic feelings first you know for any of that to come through i think it would be totally appropriate and you know as the characters grow older you know naturally their bodies will go through we haven't discussed how puberty works in this world is this the birds and the bees discussion oh we will have a birds and the bees but it will be like some other food creature yeah the fact that they're going to go through so much traumatic shit together <laughs> yeah i think it's only natural that at some point they're going to want to explore passion and pleasure as co-writers, we will we will discuss appropriately how we wish to do that. Well, now I'm just thinking once Sloane hits puberty, he's going to become a primal dom. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be great fun. If your most sexually conservative friend ever read your stuff, how do you think they would react? And what would you do? I actually have a really great true story as an answer. Yes, give it to us. So when I was 17, I self-published a novella and I put it under my real name. Oh, oh no. Yes. At the time, I was sort of quite excited about it. I put it up on my personal Instagram. People bought it and it, it actually sold quite well. I'm not going to lie. I took it down for the basis of I realized one, apparently I just decided formatting doesn't need to exist. <laughs> Do I need an editor? Absolutely not. I run it through Word. <laughs> The whole thing was horrendous. It's something that I will actually be coming back to improving on and one day re-putting out. I put it out as my real name and everything, and my auntie and uncle read it. <laughs> 
and then proceeded to speak to my parents about it. Oh. Oh, no. My parents knew it existed. My parents were not big readers. So while they purchased the book and like were supportive of it and sort of told their friends that their son had done this and whatnot, they didn't actually read it. But I recall sitting with my auntie and uncle and my parents, they were discussing it. My uncle is squeamish. He is not a massive fan of sort of overly sexualized topics or the macabre or anything vaguely taboo, which was exclusively what this novella was. (laughs) Of course. Of course. It's me. Yes. And I just remember him saying to me, what is so fucked up in your head that you come up with that? Oh, no. It actually was relatively entertaining. We did laugh and joke about it. And I sort of like read out a few chapters here and there. Oh, my God. I could never do that. Yeah. Yeah. We we discussed bits together and whatnot. But it was incredibly awkward because obviously being like my first thing that my family had read. And it's the plot of the novella roughly was a really confusing relationship for a young trans child who had grown up with quite an abusive father and relied entirely on the mother. And they'd developed quite a severe form of schizophrenia where literally like reality and fiction blurred entirely. And they almost had no concept there was anything wrong. This traumatized person, as they were growing up, they had a very blurred lines between a lot of things. So a lot of relationships that either would or wouldn't have been sexualized were, and so if a lot of it was flipped, some things that they'd been subject to and they had experienced were obviously inappropriate. What is considered sexual and what isn't? And how much does that rely on societal views versus actual like innate passion? So full circle coming back around to like, I guess, romance and like erotica. What are some of your personal favorite romantic or erotic tropes as a reader versus as a writer? And what do you like about these tropes? Oh, that's a really good question that I didn't prepare for. It's okay. I think one of my favourite reading tropes, honestly, is the public. I think that's really fun. Do you research the tropes before or do you just like write an idea and then maybe while you're researching or editing or, you know, just loving life, you're like, oh, this is a pre-existing trope. Oh, no, that's a really good question. For me, I'm a pantser, so I will absolutely write it as... I want to as I see it in my head and it'll be something that when I come back to it I then you know, research how often does this actually happen how well does this go or you know what happens here in, in sort of regular society etc do I look up whether things are sort of cliched tropes not necessarily primarily because I feel like I know what a lot of them are anyway and so I don't tend to write them naturally but research is always and with especially with erotica is always an interesting topic Would you ever write a kink that you're really not into? Yes, and I have done. I will write about any and every kink, just sort of find the story that I want to tell and and see what that entails. Is there a trope you hate and will never write? So we're not necessarily talking about a kink. We're, we're now talking about like a trope. No, I know like some people have mixed feelings about enemies to lovers. I like enemies to friends to lovers. 
I like rivals to lovers. I don't buy enemies to lovers without anything in between. Yeah. I can respect that. To be honest, I think that's probably where I would put my answer. I think because I see it as quite derogatory towards sexual abuse. It's too romantic of a view. You know, someone abuses you because they like you. And so you're meant to accept that and then eventually give in to it. That's enemies to lovers. But then there's also like the very specific genre of bully romance. And I read two because they're really popular. And I just, I can't. No, it's not something I'm comfortable with. I agree with you. And I'm not going to reword anything that you just said, RP, because I I totally agree with it. And when I was told the phrase, maybe he just likes you, my people who I love and respect, I clap back so hard at them that I think they were shocked. That phrase has really affected my own trauma, which we're not going to get into. So there's a middle grade book and it's called Maybe He Just Likes You. Ew. Oh gosh. And the tagline is, how do you know when someone crosses the line? And it's kind of what I lived. So if anyone wants to look that up, again, trigger warning about sexual assault and things like that. I just think the standpoint of, you know, like you say, maybe he just likes you or something. It's not something I'm comfortable with or will agree with ever. This next question I'm going to ask because I was rereading something that you wrote in Project Bun because RP, one of the, you know, his favorite things was a series of unfortunate events and I have to watch it, read it, you know, do, do my homework, but that's like his favorite. And he said that like every time he reread it, that there was like little hints or little like cues. So he wanted to make sure that was going on in Project Bun. So I was doing my due diligence, rereading chapters <laughs> of our manuscript. And I was like trying to find places and I caught myself blushing. And it wasn't even like a super like erotic scene because obviously Lone and Frazier were at a very innocent time in their friendship, but it was just like really cute. So how do you like not blush or like turn away whenever you're writing like intensely intimate scenes. I know the bit you're talking about, I believe. Is it the bit in the tent? It's the bit in the tent. One part of art as a concept is a lot of it is about emotion or human connection, your exploration of oneself. It's those small moments of, see, I'm sitting here grinning. I can hear it in your voice. (laughs) (laughs) primarily because that stuff i find cute that's what i think's cute it's the small little unknown mannerisms that we all do that we can acknowledge in other people and we fail to do in ourselves you know when people sit there you can see if someone's looking at someone because they like them they have no concept that they've like widened their eyes or they've turned their body language to make it more open to that person you know those small little moments that we just naturally do when we give in to someone and we melt like butter and we don't acknowledge it ourselves and i I think that's beautiful about humanity. I think that's something that we as humans really have that defines us. And and so I, I really love including those moments and exploring them. That was really well worded. <laughs> like, like always. <laughs> I just say what I think. It just comes out. But yes, I do particularly like that moment. I think it's so, I don't know, I'm really proud of that particular scene. I think it's so beautifully innocent and encapsulates such a variety of, of emotions at once. There are lots of books on writing erotica, sex, romance. Some overlap, some don't. The one that I have read called On Writing Romance, like really emphasizes that you need emotional connection with, you know, the physical stuff. Yeah. I was wondering if you agree with that. And then also, like, have you read any books on writing any or all aspects of erotica? Or are you just like, I'm just winging it. I'm going with 
my gut. I haven't read any books on the craft of erotica, no. Articles essentially on like what has gone well in particular forms of erotica and what hasn't. So I've, I've done that. But do I think that you need sort of the physical touch? No, do you need the emotion with physical touch? I see. When you say emotion with physical, can you just elaborate? What, what, so do you mean in terms of like um, like a one-night stand? Could you have an entire book about one? Not necessarily like a one-night stand or like, oh, I'm falling in love with you. But the the idea of the... And granted, I like you said, it might be more on in a romance sense where there's a plot. Sure. The scenes with physical intimacy should be doing more than just turning people on and do you agree with that or disagree with that or do you think that's the difference between like erotica and romance that you also laid out at the start of the episode i agree and i disagree i think it depends on the the individual book based on my definition earlier i think a lot of it is based on intent i personally am, am a believer where if you're gonna make two characters engage sexually with one another i personally think the reader should care you know i don't think you should be able to take a sex scene out of a book and use it as mental masturbation i think that's that's where it becomes pornography and that's where it comes out of of the erotica i think that it needs to be read within the context of the characters and the rest of the novel or novella or whatever it is you're writing in order to work. And I say that because I think what a lot of, and this is obviously based in reality, you know, a lot of what comes from sexual activity is based on knowing people. To some extent, you can't just have sex with someone. Doing something for someone else, knowing that they will gain pleasure out of it, is part of the intimacy of a sexual encounter. If it was entirely selfish, if you were just doing what gave you sexual pleasure, then it becomes a very dangerous scene very quickly. And slash what a very boring scene for the other person, <laughs> depending on what route it goes. Oh, God. But something really invigorating as a reader to read that someone's paid attention to a comment someone made earlier and has acted on it in the moment of sexual passion that brings you such an appreciation and understanding for that character and that character's motions with the other person you know it shows a, an extra sense of care it shows that they're paying attention it shows that they want to please the other person and i think those are all really important in a way you should be able to take the sex scene out the book should still work without it but the scene should not work on its own I feel like that could go into the next question we were going to ask is any secrets for nailing a sexy scene? And I feel like you just answered that. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I did to an extent in terms of, you know, make it personal. This is going to sound like a really weird phrase, but make it arousing for the characters. I don't think that's a weird phrase. We're writers. <laughs> we create worlds and torture people who don't exist. <laughs> In order to torture our readers. Yep. Who do exist. Yes. I was speaking with Leonie Ross, whose new book, This One Sky Day, has just come out. And I was chatting to her about sex scenes. And she said a phrase to me I love. It shouldn't just be masturbation on a page. And I love that because I think too many sex scenes are essentially frustrated writers masturbating on the page. That's unsanitary. Yeah, absolutely. Also, you might get a paper cut. Be careful. <laughs> but the primary sort of concept of a sex scene is it's meant to be a culmination of passion for your characters. And then also, one thing that I think is so important that is ignored in sex scenes, the aftercare. Yes. Yes. What two people do after that moment defines the moment. And it's often skipped. You know, do they lie panting next to each other? Every movie says yes. <laughs> Most partners, especially in terms of erotica, when you're looking at sort of if you are exploring kinks and everything, feedback 
is incredibly important you know to say like this bit was was borderline too far so i think that that's where we need to draw a line or you know i really liked when you did this you can push that further you know that's such an important part of the relationship and, and establishing boundaries together do you do you just cuddle you know do, do you do you sit in in the moment with each other and you hold each other you know do you instantly sort of you know walk off and and clean up or something you know then what does that say with the other person the bit after explains the moment it gives it context it it either you know culminates the passion or it or it disproves it that should be on a t-shirt or something <laughs> i'm just over here thinking about like irl stuff and i'm going to try to be silent because i already feel bad that zara has to edit so much out of this episode <laughs> But I totally agree. Like it, it does say a lot about the the relationship that the two people have. Yeah, erotica as a genre should be foreplay, and I think sort of a lot of that comes into the tips I would give for a, a decent sex scene as well. And it is, you know, allow these characters to use sex as a foreplay of their relationship, as what it is in life. You know, use it as a as a moment of lust, an exploration of your care and love for this other person. Whether I'm saying that as, you know, whether you're in true love or whether it's like a friend with benefits or whether it's just like a sexual passion or something, you know, you still take moments of care. So we've mentioned multiple times, erotica as of the time of recording this is not your main genre. Do you think it's good practice for writers to try writing outside their main genre, even if they never plan to publish this stuff? Absolutely. I think it's, if I may be so bold to say, I think it's fundamental that writers to write outside of their genre. How can you claim to perfect your own art if you don't know how it differs from other arts? I like that. Imagine someone claiming to be a painter who has never drawn. Oh no. <laughs> if you've only ever sung opera, how do you know you're not an amazing rap artist? How do you know? You've never done it. You, you haven't explored it. And then in the same aspect, when you do explore it, you'll notice things from rap that you will go, okay, well, that's actually a really you know, useful tool for my voice. I could use that to improve my opera and vice versa. And you know, the seeding of emotion and putting that into my everyday writing is exactly something I've drawn from erotica. How people feel and function and your know, brain waves and energy and pheromones and everything that is absolutely influenced of the, the rest of my writing and and vice versa. You know, things I, I've I've learned from horror. Why is it that some things are terrifying to us, but then can also cause great pleasure? You know, where is this this pain and pleasure sort of divide? I'm not a big fantasy reader purely because I don't have the brain capacity for it. As soon as you start putting other languages and new words and species, I don't remember them. And then I get very confused. I don't appreciate the book enough. Nothing against the genre. It's purely the fact I'm too dumb for it. No, you're not. Fantasy is an allegory. It's a culmination of metaphors. You know, part of the main plot point of Harry Potter is him. Hitler. It's the idea of, of World War II. How could you write this sort of vindictive, vengeful character who is building an army to rise up against certain other things? You know, that's history. No genre exists in isolation is what I'm trying to say. I think to sort of play ignorance and only write within what you would consider what you do, I think it's really detrimental to your craft. Yes. Round of applause. And also you are a fantasy writer now, just so we're clear. <laughs> I am. Yes. Food people are fantasy. <laughs> no, you're right. I am. Yeah. RP names a lot of things in Project Bun. I will give full props to RP for that. 
But how many times do I have to say to you? I'm like, what would you, what do we call those things? You know, the 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 bits where they do this and that and they do that, and you go, oh yeah, these. And I'm like, yes, that's it. I can't remember the names. No, I'm the same way. Kelly will be like, oh my god, you're so good at naming things. I was like, well, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> <sighs> the amount of times in Project Bun, I've had to sort of go, oh yeah, I want to talk about these things. I'm like. Yeah, I don't remember. So I've had to scroll up going, I know it's in this chapter. So I'll go to the chapter and I go, ah, that's them. I don't even remember the chapter half the time. And I have to scroll through all of my chapters and be like, God damn it. Where did I name this thing? This is where Kelly and I, I think are quite lucky because because obviously we, we co-write it. We, we sort of plan the chapters together. So if I know that I created it, I know it's in, in one of my chapters, which eliminates half the book. <laughs> when I was co-writing with people, it wasn't a chapter by chapter thing. Oh, One of us would come up with the idea for a chapter, write it, and then have it be edited by the other person who could then add in stuff. That's what me and Kelly will do at the end. We're writing our individual chapters. And then when we get to the end, we're basically going to go back and almost edit each other's chapters but it's it's to blend our voice into one right but we do it all at once so it's like we never have a moment where it's like oh i created this so i can find it easily oh i would get too confused with that i couldn't function i know rp i know you said earlier that you're a pantser but i would also like to argue that i am slowly making you into a planter. you are we're gonna have to bring this all back for the co-writing episode yeah absolutely So when writing in other genres, like we talked about, you are a genre hopping writer like myself. (laughs) Do you tend to pull in sexually tense subplots naturally? And we're not talking about like what you just said, where it's like you want to know how to maybe write a love relationship, romantic or not, but maybe taking that from experience of having written romance. But is this like, are you actually putting in this type of subplot? I think it's subliminally. Um, push them in without sort of like properly acknowledging that but I think if I'm honest I think it's my horror roots that I do push into anything I'm writing I think it is because I find the concept of pain almost like so fascinating because it's so universal and it's so fundamental to any story ever this idea of struggle and learning something through pain or overcoming something is a root of storytelling almost. How far can you push a person? That is a, a heavy bag that I will drag along the floor to any genre hall I find myself in. How far can you push a person until they snap? I am so glad you're a writer and not, you know, a serial killer. <laughs> Ooh, can you imagine? Actually, let's not. <laughs> I mean, no, let's not. What erotic author, or authors, plural, do you admire, if any? Edmund Coe was a Victorian writer. His work was so pioneering, almost, purely because uh, he, he wrote this series, oh, Maryland, I believe it's called. But the whole thing was done through metaphor, and it was beautiful. It sort of deliberately turns the feminine body into, like, landscapes. Nature and humanity are sort of one in the same and they can coexist you know the same passion that or like warmth you can get from a sunrise can be experienced by looking at someone's body i quite like that as a concept and it's sort of reasonably gothic to an extent because it's victorian so that also tickles my pickle on my gothic fashion <laughs> so edmund curl is my answer What advice would you give to writers trying to learn how to get into it? Contrary to 
what my previous statements were. Masturbate on the page. I can't tell if you're joking or not. <laughs> it's just so funny whenever you say it. I'm being serious. <laughs> I genuinely believe that the best way to begin exploring erotica, do begin by writing exactly what arouses you. Then read it and go, okay, well, what parts of it worked? And then look at it and then begin restraining it. Anytime you mention sort of an explicit part, go, how can I take that out of there? but keep the same emotion. At what point did it climax? And you go, okay, so how do I draw that back in so that it doesn't go too far? You know, establish your boundaries. It starts your conversation. It puts you on a good track for understanding the human biology and the acceptance of pleasure. I think that is a really good answer because the thing about writing is we've talked about this a lot is that writing is a journey and you have to start somewhere. So if you want to get into erotica, you just go masturbate on a page. Yep. You're always going to have a first draft and... I guess with erotic writing, it's just a first draft of what gets you going and that's okay because <laughs> then you edit it. Yeah, I would suggest if you want like a dummies guide, I would not suggest that you have an idea for a novel and you write the entire novel through masturbation, then go edit it. It will be horrendous and you would probably delete at least 90% of it and it'd be a waste of your time. What I would say, however, is consider moments. Let's fantasize a moment about this really attractive person I saw on the bus and you journal for maybe a thousand words, and you write a fictitious scene about something that happened there. Maybe a few days later, you actually have a physical connection with someone. Journal it afterwards. Don't write it exactly how it happened, because then it gets creepy. <laughs> Explore bits that happened. Use that as your prompt and write from there. I love that. And I loved that we were able to have you on today. And obviously, we plan to bring you back in future. I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to this and coming on and talking about the sexy things. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. Love you guys. This has been the Writers Podcast, and we'll be back with another episode next week when we'll be interviewing prolific indie and USA Today bestselling author Regina Duke. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Writers Podcast, Twitter at write underscore ish, and on Kofi at writeish. Bye. Bye.